This is the Leadership and Insurance Podcast, brought to you by FinPro Search Partners. Insurance companies are businesses and they need to look for the long term and be sustainable. We went from zero to one and now it's going from one to a hundred. Insurance as, as a concept, as a kind of service, is brilliant. The execution is what we're looking at now. I think the companies that are going to succeed are the ones that are going to understand and master the art of intent. When we talk about innovation, we lean too heavily to think about technology and we don't think about creating a culture of innovation. I think innovation is essentially continuous improvement of existing processes and platforms and product, right? It's got to be easy. It's got to be seamless. Good morning and welcome to the Leadership Insurance Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm lucky today to be joined by Jane, who's principal at Information Venture Partners. Um, that I very nearly got wrong, but I've got corrected really early on, so we've got it right. Um, Jane, thank you for joining me. How are you? I'm great. Really nice to be here. Yes, and we are the other IVP. There are several funds whose names are abbreviated as IVP, but... You're, of course, think we're the most important one, but you know. Yeah, I, I think it's tricky, isn't it? When you're in like you're in venture, you're in finance. It's like how how you get to the name? It's like you know we're FinPro uh, Search Partners, and then people always think that we're a division of Marsh, and they go, "Oh, you work in the finance." And it was like, "No, that's not us." And uh, but yeah, differentiation is very difficult to do. Um, but that's probably quite a nice lead-in because you know. Uh, just for the people at home, if they don't know uh, IVP, the IVP, it'd be really good if you could introduce yourself and then obviously introduce the fund. I'd be happy to. So we are a fintech fund. Uh, we are based in Toronto, Canada, but we invest across North America. Our sweet spot is Series A. We do some odd seed investments on Series B, but really Series A stage is where we focus. Uh, we typically lead our investments. Our thesis areas include, like, first and foremost, uh, we're investing in technologies for financial institutions, such as banks, insurance companies. And we also invest in embedded finance, payments, um, and everything around the kind of the function of protecting uh, the function of finance and um any financial processes. Um, yeah, what can I tell you about myself? I personally have been a venture investor for the last, oh my goodness, almost a decade now. I actually came from growth stage investing. I was at Georgian Partners previously, and then I came to earlier stage focused thematic investments. I've actually made some investments into uh, technology for financial services before. Being in Toronto, you know, it's like people talk about Toronto from the uh, finance standpoint, it's the northern capital of finance. You think about New York being south of the border from us and uh, Toronto here, finance and financial services is probably the biggest industry here in, well, frankly, in Canada. So it only makes sense that we chose to uh, focus on this uh, sector. Uh, I previously worked at Bain & Company. Again, lots of my clients were in financial services and in the insurance industry. I did some strategy work with insurance organizations and 
banks, some work in customer loyalty. And before that, I was actually, my background is in technology. I started my career as a software engineer. I um, worked at Xerox on their services side in business process outsourcing. And actually quite a few of the clients that we serviced then were in financial services industry, such as insurance and banks. Um, there's a lot of paper-driven processes and document-driven processes uh, that these organizations have, still do uh, to this day. And so kind of like throughout my career, I focused quite a bit in this financial sector. And this is, but again, like with my technology background, I'm very passionate about technology, about software, always follow the latest trends. At Georgian, we actually spent quite a bit of time investing in AI specifically. And at IVP, I have recently made an investment. I'll talk about this again. And is a company that uh, is it using AI in InsureTech specifically. So that's that's about me and about our fund. But if there's any specific areas you want me to go deeper into, let me know. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, you well, you've opened that up for me nicely. I, I think I think that's what's interesting. So you know, we're an insurance insurance and insure tech specific podcast. So yeah, we're always kind of going through that lens. But you know, obviously, you've got a broader lens than that. So you're looking at the wider fintech space. Um, yeah, I, I saw that you announced an investment uh, very recently into Wise Docs. Uh, I'd love to love to hear a bit more about that. But it's been quite a turbulent year, two years probably for insure tech investment, and I know probably broader tech investment. Um, but I wonder how has the wider kind of fintech environment changed? You know, have they, have they had similar challenges? How has that kind of changed the dynamic of what you potentially look at for the portfolio? So from the big picture um, insurance standpoint. I would say an insure tax standpoint. I would say the first wave of insure tax, like back maybe like a decade ago, were actually <laughs> insure tax with the biggest vision and ambition, if you will. Companies were actually and founders of those insure tax are were trying to build insurance companies from scratch, like full stack, end to end, basically doing every piece of the insurance process from underwriting to paying out claims, investing, looking for customers. And what happened is that uh, very quickly, majority of these uh, organizations realized that it's actually very, very difficult undertaking because on the one hand, you are trying, you need, it's a very capital intensive industry, right? Insurance. And if you're trying to build an insurance company from scratch, you need to invest quite a bit of um, time and effort into capturing your customers. Um, this is a direct to consumer model. You need to find the customers and you need to price the risk correctly. That's where your data innovation comes into the picture, your technology innovation. And then you need to learn <laughs> from experience that actually uh, paying out the claims uh, is going to be impacted by inflation, for example, right? Your claims will will get bigger. And you have to really match that price to risk correctly and price the products correctly, acquire the right customers. And uh, 
well, you can imagine the result. You you, you know the result of that is uh, a lot of companies have struggled with this business model and have since pivoted into more of an embedded insurance model. Uh, Hippo would be set one such example. There are still, some companies that are actually still succeeding at building this like full stack technology first insurance companies. Lemonade is one of them. Kin is... Um, uh, a company that raised at a billion dollar valuation last year and seems to be growing well and maintaining healthy loss ratios. Uh, but now what we're seeing is that there's a lot more insure tech founders that realize that building an insurance company, insure tech company from scratch in this B2C model is just, it's, it's very hard. It, you need scale, you need a lot of capital. And now that capital is much more scarce and the interest rates have gone up. Uh, it's much harder to uh, raise venture capital. Debt is much more expensive. So people are really starting to move toward these B2B embedded um, models where they sell some kind of a tool to insurance companies, primarily traditional ones, but in some cases, even some insure techs. So that's kind of the biggest shift I probably see and expect. I expect this trend to continue. This is why we spend so much time looking at embedded insurance and also at, again, technology for financial institutions, technologies for insurance companies. Mm. Do, you think, do you think it was ever a, a venture investment to, to, to back risk-bearing full stack insurance companies because I look at it and go, I don't think you're ever going to get the multiples you want to see um, because it's too difficult to build like in a short period of time, like the, the, the venture window versus like the return ratio. I'm not saying you can't build a brilliant business. I'm just saying, is it a place for venture to, to play? Because it doesn't appear to be for me, but then I'm not a venture investor. So I'm just sitting on the sidelines. Alex? To be perfectly honest with you, I saw the first um, full stack insured tech companies raising capital back in 2015. Mm -hmm. And at, the, at that time, I was doing exclusively SaaS investing and I was scratching my head thinking like, how's that going to work? <laughs> like how much mm -hmm. capital they need to raise? But apparently these companies have found their backers. So it really depends, I suppose, on the, well, in some cases, even the size of a venture fund. Do they have deep pockets to continue funding this business down the road, right? So you need to have a sizable fund. So I'm not going to criticize the, the VCs that have made this investment, um, again, because of their uh, particular investment thesis or their capital availability. But it, it for me personally, I could never fully get comfortable with that type of investments just like you said for the reasons that you described yeah yeah exactly I mean, look and some of them went public so i'm sure that the funds did very well out of them but um they, they they've not really performed since then so you kind of go well this is probably not a failed investment for the venture but i probably it, it, it probably justifies that it's not a long-term view and, I, and i've always been you know when i do some angel investing i've talked about this before and the stuff that i'm interested in is is it solves very specific discrete solutions for insurance companies like it takes away a pain point we know that exists um and therefore it solves the problem that there is probably people 
that do that role now manually and, and we're taking away manual solutions it just seems like an, and, and that's my thesis of my lazy thesis it's like if a human's doing it and we're now going to employ a, a, a sort of piece of technology to do it and we're saving money then that's that's always been my thesis but that sort of your 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 sort of broader description of the thesis sounds closer to a lot of the kind of private equity funds that we we, we might talk to so they're interested in owning the plumbing of the insurance and financial services industries is that a kind of fair comparison do you think you can call it that way, uh, but generally, I I do like solutions that um, are improving specific process and bring clear ROI for insurance companies. And again, if you think about big picture, like where the insured techs are gonna help insurance companies, right? Like on the one hand, it's your uh, risk and, and underwriting and pricing. And on the other hand, it's your expense reduction. Right? So there's these two big buckets and there's different estimates by different experts, but people do foresee at least like 20 to 50, up to 50% reduction in expenses and costs, both on claim side and on expense side of insurance companies through use, usage of insurance technologies. And... I've always seen, like you said, uh, a tool that can solve a very specific part of, let's say, claims processing um, that brings very tangible, very quick value to insurer is um, an easier tool to underwrite. Of course, there's a question when it, you're only solving one little piece of the overall workflow is like how sticky your solution is and how it embeds into all the other technologies that this insurer is using how to actually, again, uh, build this mode so that you're not being replaced with a new mousetrap when it comes along, that becomes a question. Mm. As opposed to like, when you are full stack and when you're automating the full process, it's much harder to sell because, again, you need to think about changing much bigger part of the insurance workflow, integrate with more systems. It's a harder sale, but once you're there, you're much more sticky. Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's kind of the difference. There, there's yeah. pros and cons. Yeah, no, I, I, I get it. I, I, we some some of the some of the conversations we've had previously with VCs is like, if your if your solution is too discreet, it's like, are you then become a feature of a bigger of a bigger platform? You know, you're just literally serving a feature focus, and then and then. But of course, you're it's an easy easier exit because you can be acquired, and there's multiple routes out, which is. Yeah, it's, it's it's such a fascinating dynamic, I and mean, we talk we talk about venture a lot on the podcast. And and from our business, I mean, we're a, we're a, we're a headhunting firm, we're a research firm specifically for insure tech, and you know we always describe it as kind of blood and oxygen. Um, that 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 kind of that's what you need um, to kind of put the life into these uh, businesses. But I was always struck by when I first started working with venture how much individuals matter. Firstly, from the VC community. It's much more collaborative than I think I thought to start with. There's a lot more open conversation. But when you're backing an investment, um, it's it's a, you must see you see hundreds of pitches, but ultimately you were looking for the right team, right? And the right business. How much does that play a part in the kind of decision? And and I suppose to give it some sort of life. I don't know if Wise Docs was an investment you led, or, 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 but like, why, for example, Wise Docs would is is why is that an investment that you made, and what about the team there that 
kind of really leaps out off the page and made, made you rock check? Lots of great great questions packed in, into into this. Uh, absolutely, team matters a lot when yeah. we look at investment. Um, the earlier the stage of the company, the more you pay attention to the one person, which is the founder. Mm. Down the road, the founder can be even replaced with uh, a professional CEO, but it's more like the team, really, like is the team there. Uh, a stage where we invest, we're usually dealing with the founders. Um, and yes, absolutely. And people talk a lot about product market fit, and that matters a lot for us. Absolutely. We looked at the size of the market. Absolutely. But we also care about the uh, founder market fit, right? And you, we do try to understand how much um, relevance, how much relevant experience, maybe the founder lives through this pain point before, like how much, because as an entrepreneur, you need to be resilient, right? You will go through so many ups and downs, like how committed you are really to solving this problem and all the headwinds you're going to, you're going to experience, right? So there's an example for Wise Docs. Uh, so the founder, Connor Aitchison, so he actually used to serve in Canadian Armed Forces, first in infantry, and then he was uh, moved to a healthcare administration unit, and he worked there for a number of years. And he actually saw firsthand um, how the um, veterans that come back from deployments and they have injuries that they uh, got during their years of service, and they're submitting some kind of either disability or health uh, claims. And Connor just realized like how long it takes for insurance companies to process those claims. What a painful way that is for veterans to live in uncertainty and not know if you're going to be covered. Because like those injuries can be like really life-altering, right? So um. he was, and those were literally his friends that he knew and it was so clear to his heart and he really made this his mission to improve that health claim processing and uh that's why he launched wise docs and he's very very committed to its mission and it's again like the, the, the scope of the solution has went broader than just veterans but that was like why so that Big why and deep understanding of the pain points, absolutely that mattered for us. Yeah. I think you raised an interesting thing there while, while you were discussing. I was really struck by uh, the power of the storytelling. And like, how much does the ability of a founder to like storytell impact their ability to fundraise? Storytelling, well, it's pitching it's sales right <laughs> when yeah. you're fundraising you need to tell the story for sure and you'll need to tell a lot of stories because the story of how you came up with an idea is not enough right you need to prove that you actually build an, an interesting differentiated solution and again the later stage investment we're talking about the more you can um have actually numbers and facts supporting your storytelling in the early stage investing, it's like literally all about your storytelling. The later stage, again, when you have the working business, when you have customers that can speak to the value of your solution, where you have proven 
financial metrics. Storytelling remains important, but again, it has to be supported by the numbers, not contradicted by the numbers. So you can look at both. But well, luckily, Wise Dogs had both, uh, <laughs> both the story and the numbers and, and happy customers. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I, it's uh, yeah, you, you can't run away from the evidence. It's, it's like I've said about some of the full stack carriers. It's like you you can't outrun, you can't outgrow bad underwriting. You know, you can't outright, uh, outrun your loss ratio. Um, yeah, exactly. No story will help you. <laughs> yeah, you can sell as much as you like, but you can sell a lot of bad insurance quite quickly. Um, but uh, yeah, when you talk about fintech versus insure tech. Um, how much does in how much do you see from an insured tech perspective versus kind of broader fintech? Um, and I suppose I'm quite interested in seeing like are there specific tranches within fintech that you're seeing a lot more of at the moment? Um, a lot more of uh, I guess embedded finance is still uh, a very big and important trend, and it does touch on embedded banking, embedded wealth management, embedded uh, insurance. Uh, it's embedded payments. It's basically companies building infrastructure to enable others to deliver financial services. So that becomes a very um, it remains a very important trend. Um, now, with the advent of Gen AI, and again, it's like it's a new generation of AI. Like I, I, I've been watching the AI trends for many years, and I, um, I continue to be super excited about the, <laughs> every new iteration. Uh, we are really, it's like you know how um, A16Z uh, says that oh, every company is now going to be a fintech company. So I think that saying needs to be tweaked to say every company is now going to be AI-enabled fintech company. Yes. Uh, so we're going to see so many use cases and insure tech in particular, right, where AI will be used more and more and more. And again, WiseDocs is a great example of using AI for claims processing. Mm -hmm. um, if, uh, again, look at the broader uh, trends that are interesting maybe this one is again going back to insure deck specifically uh, there's the usage of connected devices both in health and in insure tech and in um pnc is still yet to gain full momentum as it actually should and i think the idea of more like risk prevention as opposed to risk pricing right like if you if, Apple Watch or some kind of a risk device to track their steps and exercise, but can this be used to improve um, healthier behaviors in and actually improve health of people before they need to submit those medical claims? Mm -hmm. and, and similarly in telematics, right, we continue to see uh, the use of telematic devices not just to uh, adjust the price of policy, but again, maybe to coach the drivers on better driving behaviors so that, again, they don't get into an accident and they don't have to submit the claim in the first place. So that like IoT connected device um, category is going to continue. And then, of course, like across all financial technology and insure tech, um, 
fraud prevention and compliance are two very big themes. There are some other interesting pockets I can talk for hours, but let me know. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. So we always have to we have to draw a line somewhere. But no, I think those are some great things. And everything is so interlinked, isn't it? Because I was thinking as you were talking about embedded, um, and then the connected devices thing, for example, like embedding and connected devices goes hand in hand. You know, we were talking. Um, to an insurance tech the other day and we were discussing like embedded and and I just said for me embedded is just a reflection of the society that we've created you know like if we think about just even the our use of phones and you know you you grow up using a phone and you can do certain things on a phone and and then now I can do everything on my phone and and you know um, we were talking to someone where the revolutionary thing was that as soon as they issued me um an insurance policy document that it was download downloadable into my wallet. I mean, that should not be a revolutionary thing, but it was. And I thought, yeah, that's because it's 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 trying to embed these transactions into how I live my life now, not trying to get me to change my behavior to suit your business. And that's that's how I truly think about embedded is is less about the transaction, the buying, the purchasing. It's like, how does that fit within my life truly? And secondly, the embedded thing is 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 to, to be able to sell me an insurance product that I don't even realize is an insurance product. Um, and we had like Armoured was a great business over in the UK that, you know, they sell a security device, but they also have a, a if something gets stolen and you've got our security device, we give you a 500 pound voucher to go and hire tools. It's essentially a sort of warranty type insurance product, but no one's telling someone it's an insurance product. And I think there's so many opportunities to evolve kind of products in that space and, and they all kind of match up. Because I think, it, do you think insurance has been guilty for a long time of kind of almost sitting in this silo and saying, we've got our own little world, we do things like this, and you're just going to adjust to us rather than adjusting to the world around it. That's uh, a great point, Alex. And um, it goes back to the whole, like, again, concept of embedded insurance is that we used to think about all financial services is that there is this institution out there, a bank or insurance company. And if I need something to do with my money, whether to invest or protect, which insurance is, I need to go somewhere to that place, right, to give me that service. Uh, but the um, advent of technology and embedded finance in particular showed us that we can actually deliver those financial services to people right in the natural workflows. Like, why do I need to go to a bank separately when I'm buying a home? It's all about my home. Why do I need to go to some like other place, right? Is there a workflow tool that allows me to actually... Once I selected my house and trying to bid on it, I at the same time submit an application for a mortgage right there, right? And submit an application for insurance once I actually got that house and get it digitally right within that same workflow. Or 
maybe your example, closer to your example, is e-commerce checkout. I'm buying, let's say, I don't know, maybe a new phone um, online through an e-commerce website. And right there, I get offered an insurance, some kind of coverage and protection on the device that I'm buying, right? And it's right there, right in that process. I don't have to think, oh, I need to call the insurance company and ask them if they're going to insure my phone if I drop it. So yeah, absolutely. There's this. That's what embedded um, sol solutions do for you is to simplify a consumer's life. Yeah, I, I think where we've been under resourcing slightly, and and I think that example is a good one. Is the buy a mobile phone, get the insurance. I've never once bought the insurance at that point, and and because the other thing that you've got now as a consumer is choice. Um, I mean, I'm one of these terrible people that every time I go and buy some electronic goods like of significance, I don't know, like washing machines or a, or a TV, I'm in the store because I want to see the stuff. I want to see it in front of me. But then I've got my phone and I'm going, you know, can I get this at that price? Can I do this? And so I think some of the embedded, some of the embedded feedback I get is that embedded's great, but no one's selling any policies. And I think one of the challenges for me is that I want to see choice. So I want to, I want an opportunity to buy my insurance when I buy my phone, but I want five quotes and, and I want to be able to pick because I live in a world where I have choice. So I think there's, there's still a gap for me in the way that we're approaching consumers in the world of insurance. So we're trying to bend them still to our will going, well, we've offered you an insurance policy. It's like, yeah, but I don't know that's the best insurance policy. So I'm not going to buy it. Um, and I don't think I'm unusual in that. I think there's a there's a slight mistrust of going, well, if you're selling me this, I think I think I can get a better deal, probably. Um, so I think there's a I think there's a way to go and embed it, but embedded to the way, but it's also like I think there's a there's a gap at the moment between, you know, and there's the same for flights. I literally booked a flight this morning and they offered me uh cover and I got it for 25% of the price for pretty much the same cover. So I was like, well, that's where we're letting ourselves down. We're still kind of trying to sell a point of sale in, um, I suppose, with a lack of clarity. So I think that's, I think there's some opportunities there. Um, taking it forward, you know, we're, we're at the start of a new year. It's, 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 well, it's the end of January, which you cannot believe because it's just gone, like I've like blinked and I've gone. Um, what are you excited about this year in terms of kind of, talking to people, we've talked to embedded and we've talked about sort of connected devices. Um, have you seen anything really unusual lately that you've kind of been interested in investing? I'm always after the weird and wonderful that you may have seen recently. Ah, weird and wonderful. I don't know how weird and how... <laughs> this goes <laughs> back to like your point of uh, maybe embedded, but we're actually like seeing some curious in like very like niche specialty insurance products coming up and like maybe the most obvious example here is cyber insurance yeah i think there's been quite a bit of uh, turmoil in this industry because uh, the cost of those cyber incidents have been much higher than people anticipated so there's been a battle between those insurers and companies that buy these insurance policies so i think that industry has ways to go to mature and <laughs> figure out the correct way to price this, in, in this type of insurance. 
Uh, I generally believe, like, because unfortunately, cybercrime is here to stay. Um, cyber protection solutions are here to stay, but cyber insurance is going to uh, gain importance. Uh, but there are also some like really niche specialty insurance products that I've, I was seeing. It's like insurance products for renewable energy and carbon credits. There's some like crypto and blockchain related insurance products. Like I'm yet to really fully understand. And, and this is kind of like the areas of where I'm spending the time researching right now, trying to understand what's going on there. That's like, Sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah. um, but those would probably be some examples of the <laughs> no, weird no, no. things. And then, yeah, the good ones, like the, some of the net new products. And um, um, yeah, we've had a couple of uh, carbon credit related in um, InsureTechs on. We've had, we had people of like crypto related InsureTechs on that ensuring that. And, you know, and I, I think cyber is a fascinating space. And, you know, I, what I'm interested about is to see what the trend is going to be towards individuals taking cyber cover on a personal basis. Um, it's the first time I've taken any out specifically um, because I realize so many of my assets are digital and so many of them are kind of like, on, and certainly the access to is digital and it's like, you know, it's, it's better to have coverage and our lives are so digital now that I think there's so much of a way to go, but the challenge is it keeps being redefined as to what's covered and what isn't. And I think it's such an evolving space, but the carbon capture, particularly renewable space, I think it, I think's absolutely right. It's, it's, it's a hugely interesting sector. Um, Very interesting, yeah. Yeah, and then of course, like the the AI thing that you you mentioned right at the start. I think every company being an AI company. I mean, I've, I've talked, I've mentioned before. Like we're always looking at new tech, and and I saw the first new tech for our industry that I went. It, it was genuinely incredibly effective, um, and essentially it was a sort of 24-hour resourcing tool and it wasn't it wasn't a hundred percent accurate but it was pretty good and 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 we were starting to go okay how does that change our our business and it and it does and it will um and it will be relationship driven um but one thing that gets asked all the time particularly because of the stage you invest so series a we get lots of like seed round businesses that are kind of growing expanding and they're always looking for series Series A investors, what is the best way to kind of reach out? Because I think that's something people we've not talked about enough. It's like if someone's got a deck and they want investment, do they need to have a friend of a friend intro? Do they do they just fold in mail you? Or what's the best way to approach that kind of outreach? I try to respond to a cold outreach as, as long as it's uh, on thesis. Right, I do get a lot of random emails about, oh, do you want to invest in my medical device? Well, if you just look at my web page, right, I am a fintech <laughs> investor. But as as long as it's on thesis, right? But even those that offer me medical devices, I try to uh, respond to them saying, sorry, we're a fintech investor. Uh, of course, warm intros always put things on the on top of my priority list. And every time you actually talk to a VC, you should absolutely, if you're raising, ask, uh, okay, maybe we're not a fit for you. Maybe not at the stage. Is there someone else you can suggest we talk to? We're actually typically happy to make those introductions because, again, we want to be value <laughs> add both to the founder but also to our friendly VCs, right? They always appreciate 
ideal flow we send. It's always on the opt-in basis. So I would send an introduction and say, would you take it? And it's up to them to take it or not. Um, I can't force that introduction. I don't do cold introductions. Uh, but generally, yeah, um, that's probably the, the route I would suggest. And the VC e ecosystem, it's pretty closely knit. Like people know each other in the industry. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. It's, and especially, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah um, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's, it's quite similar to my industry in that, you know, I, I have a, a, a particular niche that I work in. And, and if you fit outside, I was, I was having a conversation generally about an hour and a half ago with an incredible C-suite executive. But what they're looking for isn't really my world. You know, they're, they're too probably heavy hitting for, for my stage, where but I know a couple of really good firms. And the first thing I did is like, I'm happy to make those intros. And and, and I think it's, it, you know, it's, it's collaborative because it's much more collaborative than you think. And I think that venture community is a lot closer than you think. The amount of times that we're at events and we, everyone goes, oh, I know that person. Yes. And it, it's deal flow. Everyone needs that kind of deal flow. Um, uh, but yeah. What 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 are you excited about? What are we missing? I, I don't want to miss any opportunity for you to kind of promote one of your your investments that you're really excited about for 2024. Well, maybe I can kind of go back for a second to this like new uh, iteration of AI products and how um, there's two types of companies, right? There's uh, infrastructure AI or companies that are actually developing AI algorithms for others to use. And then there's what I call AI enabled companies. And majority of the fintechs we invest in, even if they are AI, right? Uh, they're typically AI enabled. Uh, they are using some uh, third-party AI models, but they will then go ahead and build their own models on top of those. And of course, it's uh, all about the data, right? Because at the end of the day, it's uh, what is a mode for an AI-enabled company. It's not AI itself, but rather the training the data sets that they're using that AI. And um, it's like, again, like you put your child in early learning program it's uh, when they're super young they're going to be likely ahead of their peers by the time they hit grade three i don't know making stuff <laughs> uh, same idea the sooner you start training your algorithms on a certain data sets you actually um, have the benefit of having seen more say health related documents to be better uh, at assessing and categorizing, summarizing, and structuring insights from a health claim. So that data, the more documents you process, the stronger your solution becomes. It's, it still continue to be, like, that's why I'm like, uh, when I'm assessing AI companies, I look a lot. It's like, are you infrastructure? No, you're AI enables. Okay, what's the data set what you own? What's provided in that data set? And how that data set over time, how you will accumulate maybe more, like the more claims you process. Previously, we invested in Tractable, um, which is AI-enabled claims processing, but uh, for auto insurance. And they spent a lot of time on actually like photos and image recognitions for auto um, accidents. Um, same idea, right? Like the, the more time you spend, the more images you, your algorithm looks at, the, the, the 
better it is at doing that. And that's what really becomes the mode. So I'm, I'm quite excited about seeing those kind of use cases. Uh, other use cases for AI is like more on how to market yourself, uh, customer support, maybe even some product development. Um, but efficiency gains is kind of like number one area that we're going to see. I think insurers benefiting from this trend and from this technology. Yeah, if, the, if there's one there's one industry that needs some efficiency gains, I think it's going to be the insurance industry. So, um, no no surprises there. Jane, thank you so much. You've been super generous with your time, and it was um yeah, it was lovely to have this conversation. So, thanks very much for being a guest on the podcast. Alex, it's been so much fun. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you.